Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 54. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide, and in 1999, I founded the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident outdoors by using traditional skills, a few simple tools, and field-based experience. Whether you're looking to go from city slicker to competent outdoor professional, want to experience a remote expedition, or just want to learn a few new outdoor skills, we've got you covered. You can check out the show notes to this and all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. When you're there, click on the podcast button. And if you enjoy the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Lastly, the best way to keep up with our programs and trips is to join our email newsletter. And you can do that at jmbnews.com. Welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Smith. Uh, this is episode 54. And today I am joined uh, by Dragon Uzalak. Uh, how are we doing today, Dragon? I'm doing excellent, Tim. Yourself? I'm doing fantastic. Dragon is the owner of Nico Wilderness Education uh, in Alberta. Is it Beaver County or Beaver Country? What is it called? Beaver County is the place I live, like the the county I live in, yep. Beaver County, Alberta, uh, (laughs) and an old (laughs) friend of mine. Um, So Dragon and I, I had the good fortune to spend a couple of weeks on the winter trail with Dragon um, last winter, snowshoeing. And then we were together again in June on the Bonaventure River in Quebec, where we had an awesome time with a great group of guys in what we referred to as the Full Tang Expedition. Uh, So (laughs) happy to be chatting with you here today, buddy. Yeah, no, I'm happy to to be out here uh, today. Full Tang Expeditions. You know, it's it's a good flavor. Not much different from from the winter trip, but other than weather. Yeah, for so, sure. You know, I, I'm just lo- looking out the window, and last time we talked, I was saying how it was cold and beautiful here, and we had about eight to ten inches of snow. Yesterday, it rained all day. The weather just shifted, and it rained all day. All that beautiful snowshoe weather that we had, I was su- super surprised. Mid-December, we don't get rain out here, so kind of a... Big shift. It was like East Coast weather, like when we were doing our two-week trip is what it reminded me of. And yeah, pretty interesting because you get to see how it's going to play out now. Hopefully it gets cold and you can just walk across the top of the snow, pull the toboggan, no problem. Yeah, rains and thaws in midwinter. I I always cringe if I ever hear like the the radio announcer talking about the weather and they get all excited where it's going to warm up tomorrow. Like, I hate that. I want it to be steak. (laughs) The best winter trip we ever did uh, weather-wise, two weeks um, in northern Maine. I think the highest it got was 11 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and it didn't get super cold. You know, we had some pretty cold nights, but the days were single digits or single digits below zero Fahrenheit. Just absolutely perfect for, like, hauling sleds. You never had to worry about thaws or anything, and, oh, it was just gorgeous. So every time I hear the weatherman get all excited about a thaw or something, I just want to go wring his neck. I don't yeah, know. is that too yeah. uh, t- too angry? I don't know. Just <laughs> no, no, no. I, 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 I'm warming up my knuckles right now. <laughs> just... 
Awesome. So, so Dragon, you run a company called Nico Wilderness Education, um, and you are gearing up for a busy winter season, correct? Yeah, uh, pretty exciting. I've got four four treks happening this winter, and they're full, and I'm sitting on a waiting list and booking into January 2020 already. That's awesome. Uh, so tell me a little bit about the, uh, the treks, like, uh, where are you going? You know, what's the, the sort of style of winter camping you're doing, you know, tell, tell the audience, uh, how you run these things. So this, well, because tobogganing and snow and and canoeing share similar terrain, there's an area Lakeland recreation area and it's a gorgeous can you, can you cut area, out for a second can you, uh, what's it called again because we got some we got a glitch what's it called oh, okay the the area is called the Lakeland recreation area and it's really really well known for the canoeing up there it's a bunch of lakes interconnected uh portages so fantastic canoeing terrain uh, short portages between lake and lake i think there's about eight lakes interconnected so uh, that's where we're going to take our trips for this season um and we'll be doing it hot tenting style so freight toboggans uh pulling all our loads in cross lake some portages and setting up hot tents it's going to be it's known as a black sky area Uh, i don't know if you guys get that in maine but our dark sky and then what that means is there's absolutely zero light pollution. So the stargazing is some of the best in the world. And so obviously midwinter, that's going to be a big benefit to us. And the Aurora Borealis is super bright up there. It's a, a constant uh, viewing opportunity. So some people don't have that. That I've never seen the Aurora. Uh, they're going to have a good chance of getting to watch the Aurora dance overhead. That's... Uh, that's awesome. Um, we do have those places. Actually, Northern Maine, where our field school is, uh, is one of the best places in the United States to see the stars. Um, Excellent. Uh, but good trivia. Do you know the best place in the United States to see the stars? No, I, I think I've recently heard Northern Maine. Uh, nope, it's actually Hollywood, California, because they could be like checking out at the grocery store next to you, <laughs> driving down the street in their fancy cars. <laughs> nice. I get my telescope. Let the record show that that's the seventy-third time I've told that joke. Lifetime. I'm going. I'm shooting for a hundred. I'm writing it down. I'm going to carry the tradition. <laughs> Oh, no, it sounds like a great, uh, it does sound like a great spot. Um, so you were, I mean, you've been busy. This is the first year that you're launching this type of, of winter expedition. Is that correct? It is correct. Yep. So you've been really busy this fall then getting gear prepped and you didn't just run out and buy a whole bunch of stuff. Can you tell the audience kind of how you, what your approach was and what you've been busy doing and making? So what I've been building and making is everything I possibly could, I guess. So toboggans were one of the things that originally easy to come up with, pop in your head. Okay. Sourcing out material locally, whether it be the plastic, the, the rings, the running lines. Um, I do construction for a living. So finding uh, wood around the job sites that I could run through the table saw and sand down and router out for the cross members. So a lot of the things, if I couldn't, find it i had to source it out uh, because tobogganing is relatively unknown or it's fizzled away in this part of the world 
just because we don't have the that lake culture that lake culture for canoeing. Um, it was really hard to source everything out. So that was one of the first things that I started to build. Um, then snowshoes, uh, as because traditional snowshoes and running this traditional style of camping, I really wanted a fleet of traditional snowshoes. I got really lucky, whereas I do some work with the Boy Scouts of Canada and off a Kijiji or like an internet ad, I, somebody was selling a pair of snowshoes for $5 and he had 15 pairs. Well, I got a hold of the guy and we struck a really great deal and it happened to be through Scouts Canada and we did a little bartering and bargaining and uh, I traded up some of my instructor time and got these snowshoes for 15 pairs, not in great shape, of for a song. So I've been refurbishing all those and I'm actually cutting up chunks of leather to make my own bindings. It came with about three or four different sets of leather bindings. And the one set I appreciated the most, I had the least of. So I had some thick leather leftovers for some from some leather projects. So I'm tracing that out, cutting it out, and I'm gonna start riveting new uh, leather snowshoe bindings together for the trip. For the trip. Nice. So so yeah, you've been busy, right? And but the <laughs> the, the beauty of of going that route. Um, as opposed to say, just going down to the outfitter and buying everything is, you know, when you put in your time with the gear, if something breaks in the field, you're usually well armed intellectually to fix it or, or solve the problems that, that will come up. So, so good on you for doing that. Um, yeah, that was probably one of the biggest things when it came to doing the finicky stuff going, Oh man, if something breaks out here, yeah, I need the parts and the pieces and the know-how. And so just like you said, it's, it's a good move. Yeah, so I mean that's the sort of the logic behind on our longer canoe expeditions. Uh, we require you know the four week um, wilderness canoe expedition semester. We require people to bring a paddle that they have carved, and hmm. the the thought process behind that on my part is that if we're out you know in the middle of nowhere and they break or lose a paddle. Um, then I have the ability to look at them and said, well, you've carved one before you get your ax and your knife, get to it. Instead of, you know, me supposedly having to pull something out and be like, Oh, here's the extra, this, that, or the other thing. Right. So the, it's a great way to do it. We've had a guy, um, we had a guy had to carve a paddle in the field last spring, uh, during the, not during the canoe expedition, but during an ex expedition during the bushcraft semester. And we've had guys, uh, numerous people carve poles in the field, like they, mm. they broke a pole or they lost a pole or something. And so then, um, you know, it's a, it's a great way to do it. So I commend you on that about, you know, being well armed to solve any and all of the problems, uh, that you'll face in the field. Great way to do it. So do you think that this type of, um, this type of trip, right? The hot tent, snowshoe, hauling sleds. Is that something that you would recommend people just jump in and go out and do? Or would you recommend that they go with, with a guide, a guided expedition or go with somebody who's really, you know, well-versed and knowledgeable and experienced? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say, if you're just getting into winter camping, this style of winter camping, it definitely experience should go with a guide or somebody that's been doing it for a long time. The, the, the cost for the equipment and the learning curve can be pretty steep. Um, just as even as simple, like the, the one of the greatest things about taking your courses is you have a, a really great way of giving the skill at camp or before the trip 
and not leaving it at camp or uh, at camp. Like you carry those skills with you and you're dialing them in. Something as simple as learning how to go to the bathroom. If somebody didn't tell you, most people, how to go to the washroom in the woods on snowshoes in three feet of snow, you might, like you say, you might be carrying some friends, some hitchhikers <laughs> back to camp. And, and, and it's as simple as that, that even the simple things require a fine detail adjustment coming to winter camping. So, uh, yeah, I suggest starting off with a guide and, geez, it's going to save you a pile of money and a lot of headache. Uh, yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And just the, you know, winter in general, if it's, you know, way below zero, if it's bitter cold, just the margins for error are so much smaller in that something that if it's, you know, a sunny summer day and you do something, some mishap occurs, no big deal, right? But if it's, you know, 30, 40 below and the wind's blowing, um, you know, th those situations can turn really bad really fast. So I think uh, I agree that people should, you know, cut their teeth or get their initial experience with a guide or with somebody who's who's very experienced um, just for safety um, as well as enjoyment. Yeah, I agree. Um, so who you know, who uh, I know that we spent time on the trail together last winter, but who are your um, inspirations for this sort of a thing? I know you've been down to the winter camping symposium in Minnesota. Um, but anybody jump out as, you know, someone who's a, a big inspiration for you? Uh, when it comes to winter camping, the influence for me, because I was, I was doing typical winter camping and that was, you have a tent, there's no, it's not a hot tent, just a regular four season tent, some sleeping bags, and you get to like shiver your way through the night and crawl out. So like, that was our style, like winter camping up here. And then obviously on survival courses, you know, you're in a, either a, Harlton Hacienda or you're in a lean-to with a fire like that was my level of winter camping so the introduction to hot camping was actually given done through Blake Towsley for me of Le Club de Raquette uh, SRF and he would tell me about stories about the, the trip that he did with Lure and the one that he was going thinking about doing with you and I just the way he romanticized it and because I like hard work I like being in the I like being outside in the winter winter is a special romance for me and so those were my, you guys, Blake and you were my biggest inspirations for winter camping. And then as I started going further down the rabbit hole and meeting the crew at, from the Winter Camping Symposium in Minnesota, it's a pretty easy snowball effect of inspiration to keep upping your game and learning. And that's, so it started with you guys and it's moved along now to the rest of the crazy people that love winter camping. Yeah, um, and I have nothing but super positive things to say about uh, Blake and also about, you mentioned Lure, the uh, Dave and Kai at Lure of the North, um, a commercial tripping outfit and gear supplier out of Ontario. And we'll throw them into the, uh, we'll throw a link to them into the show notes. Um, but just great people um, and super knowledgeable and they're doing awesome trips uh, in Ontario. The, the trips they're doing, the gear they're putting out, it's all like high level. It's really, they're amazing people. They're probably the nicest people you could meet too. Yeah, people say that about me, but the other end of the spectrum, like the <laughs> absolute not nicest person you could meet. And I pride myself on that. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job. You're a great job. Uh, yeah, so it's interesting, um, you know, for getting into doing this commercially for you this winter, uh, and I'm super excited for it. I think that it would be awesome uh, to see this 
uh, sport uh, endeavor. I don't know what it is. Uh, maybe a sport to see it grow, right? And to give people more people opportunities to go out and enjoy the frozen season. Uh, but yeah, they're doing great things with gear, with trips, um, and it's it's great to see this sort of thing become more mainstream. You know, when I started taking people out on these trips just about 20 years ago, uh, you know, people would look at you like you had three heads. Like, why Why would anybody want to go out into the wintertime? You know, it's cold and stuff. And it would take you a long time to explain that, you know, you're super comfortable, that you've got a hot tent, so someplace to warm up and dry out your gear and, and things. And, and, you know, it was very fringe, I guess I should say. Mm-hmm. And now it just seems to be more and more um, mainstream. And that might just be my bias for the the circles that I run in and the people that I speak to, but it just seems like it's becoming more popular and and more people at least know about it. And I think that's a great thing. So congratulations to you on, uh, you know, carrying that, uh, carrying that yoke and introducing lots of new people into the frozen season. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking for, well, let's face it, the frozen season's a pretty long season up here. It's six to seven months. And uh, the and winter is something that just needs to be experienced. You, it's, it's beautiful to look at, but to actually get deep in the woods and recognize the silence and the stillness of it all and having that sharp contrast between con- conifers, that the green and the white is stimulating to the eye and the soul. I, you just can't touch it. You have to experience it. Yeah, for sure. And I agree, like, uh, our winter's probably a couple weeks shorter than yours, but still, if you're somewhere with a significant winter and it's four to six months of frozen and cold weather, you got to do something, right? You can't just sit inside and wait for spring and, you know, keep put another coat of varnish on your canoe paddle. <laughs> you you got to get out and, and do something, right? Otherwise, it's just a long, miserable uh, season of sitting in front of the window. Yeah. No, thanks. Yeah. Um, I was actually had that uh, discussion with my kids recently about, you know, winter sports and and things for us to get into this winter. And, um, you know, I I kind of explained it just like that, that, you know, you can't you can't hang around too much in the winter. You got to be busy. You got to be active. And and, you know, snowshoeing is just an awesome way to do that. So we're going to as a family, we're going to. Uh, do a lot of shorter snowshoe trips right around around here so i'm looking forward to to awesome yeah for sure um so i know you've made a whole bunch of the gear this this year uh any of the gear that you really don't like uh working on like you know for me if i'm working say if i'm trying to learn a new skill Maybe I'll go and learn the skill and do it and put in my time. And then after I've got to the point where I'm reasonably competent at it, I'll say, you know what, next time I'm going to pay somebody else to do this because I didn't really enjoy this. So was there anything in prepping all this gear that, that you have decided next time you'll let someone else do that job? Um, yeah, I think out of all of it so far, it was rehydrating the rawhide uh, you had recommended uh, neat's foot oil to me to get the rawhide back to life but some of the rawhide was pretty bad so i went to a saddlery which you had also recommended i do and she, the woman there had suggested this cream that gets massaged into the rawhide well when you got 30 snowshoes made of rawhide and you're sitting there massaging cream into all that rawhide that's probably the most daunting task and i think knowing that now i would just cut out the fillings, body and the toes of those things and just reweave it with monofilament because that is the most unenjoyable task I've had 
in a long time. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like a lot of fun. No. No. Uh, the, the food was also uh, a lot of the food prepping, like dehydrating a lot of the food and buying the food for, for freeze-dried. Uh, I just – I really wanted to go high level on the food. So the food that I'll be serving is some like restaurant style, really went probably over and above um, typical – and so to prepare that and get that all sorted out and bagged away tight, that was, I couldn't believe how much time like I would get up at 6 a.m. and go to bed at one in the morning. And it was probably a week and a half just to prep for the two trips I have coming up. So it was a lot of work. Yeah, it is a lot of work planning all those meals. But, you know, as a any any potential or future guides out there listening, you know, having good meals and having your menu dialed in and stuff that's the sign of a pro right like it, you you uh you don't want to go out and you know have ramen noodles and <laughs> we no. had a guy on a couple of trips who um elbow noodles and salt right that was his, that was his <laughs> ration planning like you don't want to do that you know the meals <laughs> food is such a huge part of the experience and and you know, especially if it's a guided trip, you want to put in that time and, and make sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed and, and that you know exactly what you're having and that and that it's going to be good. And then in the words of Gil Gilpatrick, uh, an old Maine guide um, who wrote a bunch of guide training books, he said, always make sure that um, when you're planning your menus, that it's food that you like. And that way, at least one person will be happy. So the that's great advice. Very, <laughs> I think so advice. too, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I found I found like just to touch on get like being spending the time. I found because like I'm bay and making sure that everything's perfect beforehand. And I have been like that for all my courses that I've ever run or anything I've ever done. I always the background. I am OCD about making it perfect. So because I know if it's not that way for me, I get out in the field. I won't have a good time and I really want to make sure that I'm completely at ease in the field and I'm only really watching for the safety issues, you know, just being a guide or just being an assistant or whatever the position is, but do the hard work in the background and then you can actually have fun with your clients and you're fun with the people around you when you're out there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. What a great, uh, what a great way to set it up, right? Because you definitely don't want to be sweating all the, I mean, you sweat all the details anyway, but you want to make sure that you've put in your time pre-trip so that you can enjoy yourself when you're out there. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, so any, uh, I always like to ask guys, um, any specific books that you're going to bring with you on the trip or any book that you like to bring with you on winter trips? Uh, a book that still uh, that you suggested to me was a book called True North, and you got the author dialed in in your mind. Oh yeah, Elliot Merrick. Uh, Elliot Merrick. Uh, that True North book still, page after page, just has me excited about getting out and snowshoeing and adventuring and running a trap line or just adventuring off into the wilderness. That is the book that carries a lot of weight still with me. And I, I've, I've already, this is, I'm reading it for round two. I'm just kind of jumping between the Angels of Hudson Bay and that one there, the True North book. But I like those adventure books for me on the trail. They just kind of keep your spirits really high and have you really excited about every time you get out of the tent and rush off through the woods. So Yeah, for sure. I love that Angel of Hudson Bay, but I always feel pretty inadequate and, and weak <laughs> when I read oh it, my you know, God. 
they started, uh, what did they start at the tip of, of the Ingava Peninsula and snowshoed to the St. Lawrence? So the, the, the north to south route along Quebec, along the Quebec Labrador border, right? Like hundreds of miles, bitter conditions, very little food. And, you know, then we're out sometimes and you know, maybe you have a layover day and you eat three big meals and, you, you know, you don't have to do a whole lot of work. And you think about how hard those people work. I'm like, good God. And, and, and you know, we're soft as if we run out of coffee, it could end a whole trip. Oh, my but, God. Uh, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, they don't have food for a week and a half and they're pushing hard. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's funny. Because I have uh, the trip we were on last winter. We did cut it. We cut it a few hours short because we were like, oh, we only have enough left for one, uh, you know, one, one pot. more pot of coffee. So we ended up hauling, working a little harder that day and, and walking out. But um we still enjoyed the finish, though. The finish. Oh, yeah. It was fantastic. Yeah. What a great way to polish off a nice two-week trip. Yeah, for sure. Um, so anything else you want to talk about with regards to your trips coming up this winter? I know you said that they're all full, so uh, you're not looking to get anybody to sign up for this year. But, um, you know, uh, for next year, anything new that you're going to be doing next year? Uh, yeah, next year. I'm not sure we'll be opening it up to the public or not, but the next year I, I do have some scouted out mountainous terrain as well. So uh, there's some big lakes and river systems throughout our mountains that we've been scouting out. So looking forward to taking advantage of those as well as keeping in uh, the Lakeland area. Um, we got uh, our friend John MacArthur there. He's made some really good friends and a connection out in Sweden, and we're developing a program called Swede Can Connection. So we'll be doing bushcraft courses, trading bushcraft courses across the pond there, and doing back and forth. So it's going to be a really exciting 2020. And there's 2020 dates available on the calendar already. So um, along with like the stargazing, the fishing, the mountainous terrain, and the, the traditional portage routes that we have available here. Uh, it's taken a lot of work and a lot of scouting, but anybody that gets involved in a trip over here in landlocked Alberta will definitely appreciate what we have to offer. Yeah, that's that's awesome. And I know uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you on our trip up to northern Quebec to Uje Bogomo. I know you're going to be joining us when we go up and spend a week with my Cree friends, David and Anna Bosom, and that's going to be, um, that's just going to be epic, right? The, 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 the folks who are coming on the trip this year, uh, are all old friends. Um, and we're super excited for it. So I can't wait to, to, uh, share a tent with you again this year. Yeah. It's been a year of year in the making, uh, since last February, we've been talking about, okay, we're going to the, on the Cree trip with March. And now that it's happening, the flights are booked and, I know there's a, a few of us after those nine days, we're going to take off for another 10 days through the wilderness to try to dial in what we just learned of the nine days living up the Cree. And geez, I, I think there's almost going to be almost, almost four weeks on trail just in the month of, month of March. So it's going to be pretty exciting. Yeah. So we'll keep our fingers crossed that the spring doesn't come early. You know, the, yes, just imagine you're out at the, the furthest point from the road on your trip and all of a sudden it's sunny and 60 degrees Fahrenheit and everything's melting. And you're like, well, I guess, I guess we're <laughs> yep. going to stay here till May. Right. Cause <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then we'll, then we'll be like those people in the angels of Hudson Bay and snowshoe for miles and see where we can get. Yeah. But, oh man, life is, life is hard when you're out and, and, and you get those thaws. So, you know, you're not as 
mobile. So hopefully that hopefully that won't happen. And um, yeah, and we'll be in touch. I'm excited to hear about the route that you guys choose and everything, and uh, you know stuff of that nature. So I'm always I always love to to hear about the details. Yeah, so it, it, there'll be lots of details to be shared. I'm sure it'll be great. Cool. Uh, All right. So anything else you want to add? No, I think like uh, one thing I like to maybe mention is to anybody that's listening that does a guide or does do instruction or trip is like, how do you, and you stay steady is how do you stay motivated? How do you keep yourself fresh and just constantly taking courses? Like I've taken courses with you, Tim, and I have more in the future planned out to take, to take from you. I think as long as a guide or a, you just stay a student and you keep, you'll learn the, there's excitement in it for you. It's all not just work and labor and teaching and staying busy and collecting material. Like you have to fill your own cup too. And I've been kind of paying attention to that and making sure I'm getting lots of personal trips in and lots of personal learning. It, it all transfers back over sharing and your teaching. So making sure that you stay motivated by taking care of your own needs too. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Because it's easy to just have it become work and kind of a grind but to, to stay excited, you know, to keep that mm -hmm. spirit of adventure and that, you know, spirit of exploration going uh, can be a challenge, um, but is, is totally worth working towards. I agree. And that's yeah. why, uh, you know, that was the big push for that Bonaventure trip last spring. Mm -hmm. And man, did we have a good time out there. Yeah. And, and I'm looking forward to more of those full tang expeditions because, that was that was filling my cup pretty heavily. I, I I just loved it, and I know everybody on that trip just is going to carry that with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, there was one. <laughs> just one quick little story about that trip, the uh, the hobo camp where we <laughs> <laughs> we got to a campsite late, uh, and there really wasn't. You know, the, it, you're kind of paddling through this big canyon, so we were on a gravel bar essentially, and there wasn't enough room for us to set up tents or stuff. So we set up a big tarp, and we all camped under the tarp. What were there? Eight of us. Uh, seven, seven of six, us. Seven, seven, yeah. So yeah, there were seven of us all camped under one big tarp, just total hobo style. Uh, and, and, you know, it was a little, when we got there, it was, everybody was exhausted. We had done like 40 miles. We had been on the water for like a, 10 hours. That was, you know, had to carry around that big embacle. So everybody yeah. was exhausted. And, and I remember thinking like, these guys are going to, you know, this is going to be challenging, right? It's going to be challenging to make this be fun. But, but looking back, probably one of the most fun uh, campsites of the river. Uh, I would, I would say we, we, I think the tiredness and uh, we all banded together pretty quick, you know, a couple guys getting wood and scraping off a flat area and the gravel bar and collecting wood. Like we, we all banded together and made it, like you say, probably the fun that we had, except the last one. The last one came with a victory. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that story, story through, for another time. Through shared adversity, often is the uh, best opportunity for bonding and building teams, and uh, you know that was clearly in evidence on that trip. Um, Agreed. So awesome! Listen, Dragon, thank you very much for taking the time uh, to record this. And again, I'm looking forward to seeing you in a couple of months out here on the East Coast. Um, and I wish you all the best on your uh, upcoming winter expeditions. I know you're going to have a great time, and I'm I'm uh, super excited for the people that are going with you because I know they're going to have a great time as well. 
Well, I appreciate it, Tim, and a lot of their my success and their success will be because of you. So I appreciate all your hard work and teachings you give me. So awesome. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you out there in podcast land for listening. If you enjoyed this, please leave us a review wherever you consume uh, this podcast, <laughs> and we will hit you back with another one next week. Have a great day. You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.